Take your Bible and turn with me to Isaiah 45. Isaiah chapter 45. Tonight, as we continue in our series in Isaiah, seeing how God gives rest to His people, we'll see that there is rest for God's people because their future is in His hands. So we can follow the footsteps of Jesus wherever they lead us because we know that our lives are in God's hands. We often forget that, don't we? We all want the best for our families. We all want what's best for ourselves. So what do we do? We, we work, and work is something that God has given us to do. He does want us to work, so we work. But sometimes we think we can solve all of our problems with work. We plan. We try everything we can to secure a future for ourselves and for our families. It's so easy as we live in this world to get caught up trying to bring together every earthly effort that we can muster to do what we think is best for us and still find that we're lacking if our eyes aren't fixed on God and His promises. God has a way that is far better for us, and we need to see that clearly. Oh, when we watch God in His Word and learn from Him, we can find pretty quickly that His purpose for us isn't to simply have all the luxuries that we can put our hands on in this life. It isn't simply to have all the wealth we can attain, all the wealth we can acquire and gather in this life. He has far more for us. We need to understand that. We need to see that clearly, that God has much more for us than just the physical things that we can pursue in this life. When we live according to God's revealed will, we, we will find, I believe, that, that what God has for us is far better than anything that we can make, anything that we can provide for ourselves, anything that we can earn, anything that we can acquire or achieve. But to receive what God has for us, we must come to Him in faith. He calls us to walk by faith and not by sight. We need to come in humility before God. We need to come to His Word that way every time. Humbly asking God to teach us His ways because His ways are not our ways. We need to come with the attitude of surrender before God and He will joyfully teach us His truth if we will come with that kind of an attitude. Our God, the one true God, is like no other. So let's look at Isaiah 45 and I want to begin our reading tonight at verse 18. Isaiah 45 and verse 18. Follow along as I read through verse 25. Isaiah 45 and verse 18, For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, He is God, who formed the earth and made it, He established it. He did not create it empty, He formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. I did not speak in secret, in a land of darkness, I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, Seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. And verse 20 says, Assemble yourselves and come. 
Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. Verse 22, turn to me and be saved. All the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return to me. Every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. And then verse 24, Only in the Lord it shall be said of me, our righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. I did not read it, but in the early part of Isaiah 45, leading up to verse 18, Isaiah the prophet reveals God's plan to provide for his chosen and beloved people Israel through Cyrus the Great. Now, Cyrus would release Israel from captivity so that they could return to the promised land and rebuild Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. And there are a few interesting things to note about this. First of all, we're hearing about Cyrus, but this is prophetic speech about Cyrus. Cyrus was yet 150 years in the future when this was written. That makes this prophetic passage, powerful evidence for God being the author of the Bible. When you come to a passage like this and you see this prophetic language and realize that this was written 150 years before Cyrus existed, this should remind us that God's word is true. It is just one more proof that it is God's word for God's people. We can believe it. We can trust it. It is also one more reason that we should obey it, that we should take it personally. When we read God's Word, we should be humbling ourselves before it to obey God's Word. Second, even though God called Cyrus by name, as seen at the beginning of this chapter, you think about that, when God calls someone by name, we think relationship. Interesting. God chose to use Cyrus. But it's interesting that we don't have any evidence in the scriptures that Cyrus believed in God. But yet God chose to use him in spite of his unbelief. He wasn't a believer in God. He didn't acknowledge God. And yet God's sovereign control and work in the world can be seen in this fact that in spite of Cyrus not believing in God, not acknowledging God, he was still used by God mightily to free his chosen and beloved people Israel. That gives me hope. I hope that gives you hope when you think about rulers in our day. And certainly, 
if we had our way, we would love to see Christian people in in political places where there was a, you know, Christian leadership. We would love that. But if there's no believer in the White House or there's no believer who's our governor or there's no believer who's our mayor or we don't have Christian police officers, God's still in control. We need not fear. We need not fret. We ought to pray for them. Yes, pray for their salvation. But God proves He can do whatever He wants. He can use an unregenerate ruler like Cyrus. God does not work like we work, does He? He, he does not work the way we would work. We would, we would not do what God... We would not want to use someone who was an unbeliever, but God chooses to do this even using an unregenerate ruler to free his chosen and beloved people Israel, even using that same ruler to avenge God's wrath on other nations. We see that in the early verses of this chapter. So it's just as we hear in Isaiah 45 and verse 22, for I am God and there is no other. We heard that in this chapter also in just the short passage that I read. It's really clear. God... I am God, says God, and there is no other. So when we arrive at verse 18 and we, we see what God reveals about Himself here, we can know that God gives rest to His people because we're shown repeatedly in this passage that the future of God's people is in, in no other hands but the God of the universe's hands. They're in God's hands. He's in control. He's at work. And that's not just a reminder for Israel here. It's also a reminder for all people who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ today. And we'll see why that's true in a few moments. You might have recognized a passage that sounded familiar to you when I read it, but we'll, we'll touch on that in a moment. God does not work as we work. We ought to be glad about that. <laughs> if we were in charge... Just imagine the kind of trouble we would be in. <laughs> his ways are not our ways. And yet, our future is secure in His hands. We can rest on that truth. We can rest because we have God's promises and we have His commands. God did not remain silent. He tells us what He expects of us. Note first this reminder from God in verse 18. Let's look at verse 18 again. For thus says the Lord, who created the heavens, He is God. Who formed the earth and made it, He established it. He, he did not create it empty, He formed it to be inhabited. And then this statement, I am the Lord and there is no other. To learn to trust God, who calls you to turn to Him, you need to know first who He is. God wants you to know who He is. I'm grateful that God reveals Himself in His Word. He makes Himself known. He doesn't hide Himself from us. He doesn't make us play 20 questions about who He is. Again, it's in verse 22, we hear God calling all the ends of the earth, calling to people everywhere, and this is what I think is interesting. This, is a, this ought to be a call to us to be concerned about missions. This is really a call to all the ends of the earth. We see it here. It's a call to every, 
every tribe and nation, every land and people, every country and nation is being called to turn to God and be saved. And knowing and understanding how good and great God is will lead you to surrender to Him. If you truly understand who God is, your heart is truly softened to believe you will surrender to Him. So note the first statement about Himself that God makes in verse 18. The Creator of the universe says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. And He did not create the earth empty. Did you note that? He formed it to be inhabited. And so hear this, I am the Lord, and there is no other, says God. God is a gracious God, put us on this earth that is well-formed. Uh, though we have days that are hot and humid and sticky, uh, they're balanced out by days that are you know, two feet deep with snow, right? <laughs> it be, but we survive. It becomes a, a pleasant place for us. We enjoy the change of seasons. And there are these days that we say, boy, if every day could be like this day, that would just be wonderful. Until we got tired of that day. <laughs> uh, every day. And, and yet God gives us seasons and, and the weather and this wonderful climate that we can live in. He gives us food to be sustained by. He gives us air to breathe. He gives us water to drink. God formed the earth to be inhabited. What a loving and gracious God we have. And even unbelievers benefit from that grace of God. The fact that God put everything in its rightful place and made the earth a place fit for living ought to get our attention. That God is a God of order. He, and, he, and He loves and He cares for humankind. And so as God calls to His people to turn to Him and be saved, He's making it clear that He is the one true God. We ought not waste our, times pursuing, our, our time pursuing all the other things in this world that could distract us from, the, from loving with our whole lives the one true God. If God creates all things and He makes the earth a place that's just right for people to live on, survive on, He will not disappoint us if we trust Him with our lives. Now, note next the re reminder that God is unique. He is different. Look at verse 19 again. I did not speak in secret in a land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak the truth. I declare what is right. God makes himself known. He's not playing games with us. He's not pulling tricks on us. He's not speaking to us in riddles. He's not saying, seek me, but you'll never find me. <laughs> now, this is the character of God in whom we find rest. When do we find rest in God? It's when we trust in Him. It's when we give Him our all, our lives. God is a truth-telling God. He's not like the little g gods we see here mentioned in the text. He's not like the false gods of the people who lived around Israel. K. 
Can those gods keep promises, he's saying? Can those gods keep promises? Can those gods even make promises? No, absolutely not. But our God makes bold promises, doesn't he? And he keeps those promises. God also speaks clearly. God speaks plainly. He is not unclear. He is not speaking in riddles. We can know exactly what God expects of us by reading his word. How blessed we are to have it. And if you seek God, if you seek to know him from his word, you will know him. You will not be seeking him in vain. You will most certainly not be wasting your time. So what does God call us to do? He calls us to trust in Him. That sounds simple at the first, doesn't it? Oh, just trust Him. (laughs) But then we get into life and we get knee deep in life and we find that trusting God is challenging sometimes because we want to fix our problems. We want to solve everything. We've got it all figured out. God, just don't you see it my way and come along and help me do this? (laughs) God's, God's ways are not our ways. God wants us to trust Him. That's just what He's calling on His chosen people Israel to do. And He's showing us all in the, in the Word of God, as we look to the Word, He's showing us all that we can trust Him. Could Israel trust Him? Certainly they could. Did they always trust Him? No, they did not. And we look at them and think, how foolish. If, if we'd been there, we would, we would have trusted God, right? And yet, we struggle with with faith, don't we? We struggle with trusting God. He's showing us all in His Word that we can trust Him. That's not true about worthless idols. And I would venture to, to say that, that we can be caught pursuing worthless idols if we're not careful. Look at the contrast between God and idols. We can see it in the contrast between how God is revealing himself to us in verses 18 and 19 and the weakness of idols seen in verses 20 through 24. Look at verses 20 through 20. I'll just read the first half of verse 21. Verse 20, assemble yourselves and come, draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. In the first half of verse 21, declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. There's a powerful contrast here between the false gods of the nations and the one true God. God is, you see it here, God is challenging people everywhere to pay attention to this contrast. Do not waste your time chasing false gods. Note how he does it here. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols. Just a little hint here. (laughs) If your God is made of wood and you have to carry it around, it's also powerless to save you, let alone help you. If your God can be lost because you forgot to bring him with you, (laughs) he is powerless to help you. It's another way of calling them fools. You hear it in verse 20. Assemble yourselves and come draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols. They have no knowledge. He's saying you're foolish. 
Unless we're quick to say, yes, that's foolish, and who in the world would do something foolish like that? We can catch ourselves pursuing the idols all around us. Anything that we put between ourselves and God can become an idol. Anything that we give a higher priority than honoring God with our lives becomes an idol. We do that. And the world we live in does that. And and most certainly we can be guilty of that when we put our hope in things that we can make or, or money that we can earn or a job that we think we can keep or plans that we think we can fulfill. Those things become idols. Go ahead, God says. Look at verse 21 again. Declare and present your case. Let them take counsel together. Go ahead. Try your case before the one true God. Let's see how that works out for you. God is the one true God. Of all people on earth who need to be convinced of this, it's God's people. So that we show the world we believe in the one true God. We want to honor the one true God with our lives. Come follow us as we follow him. God is the one true God. There is no other. And he can do for us what idols and all that we set up as idols in our lives cannot do. Let's never forget that. Let's make sure we keep our priorities straight. Only the true God of the Bible can offer real hope and then deliver on that hope. But God was not finished. He has another argument. Note the rest of verse 21. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, the Lord? And there is no other God besides me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none besides me. It's almost like we need to be reminded that there is no other God like our God. Again and again, we we see this repeatedly. God has declared the truth from long ago. Worthless idols cannot do that. Those idols cannot save either. Idols have no power, but the God of Israel is all-powerful. He proves it to them over and over. He proves it to us. How so? Do you see how God proves He is all-powerful in verse 22? And ultimately, this is how God proves He is all-powerful. Turn to me and be saved all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Our God saves. That's eternal rest. Do you want to have rest? You want to have eternal rest? Turn to God. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe in Him. You will be saved and you will gain eternal rest. And yet God also comes alongside us today while we're living this side of eternity, this side of heaven, and gives us rest for today. Even though we're mixed up with trials and tribulations and difficulties, our God saves. That's eternal rest. God speaks by His own authority, of course, and by it He declares salvation to all who turn to Him. Note His authority in verse 23. By myself I have sworn. From my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. And there it is in verse 23. It's right there that we hear the passage which Paul will quote. 
and ascribe to Jesus in Philippians 2. We've studied it not too many weeks ago. Philippians 2, verses 10 and 11. Listen to this familiar passage. Actually, let me begin at verse 9. Philippians 2, verse 9. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. We're speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. Highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus... And Paul quotes our passage here from the Old Testament. Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And verse 11, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Isaiah, pointing ahead to the one whom God the Father would send, God the Son, to save His people from their sins. And there will come a day when all people will recognize Jesus Christ for who He is. It ought to be our desire that everyone recognize Jesus Christ for who He is because they've trusted Him as Lord and Savior. But everyone will either honor Him and worship Him as their rightful King or they will grieve as they recognize Him as their rightful judge because they did not trust in Him. Today God calls to everyone to look to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Our God is a saving God. Our God is a forgiving God. Our God is a God who gives eternal rest when we put our faith and trust in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And He alone gives hope that endures and gives rest for our souls. And though He does not swoop in and snatch us out of our troubles, He comes to be with us in our troubles. He sends His Son. He sends His Spirit to indwell His people. He gives us His Word to hold in our hands and hide in our hearts. He gives us prayer so that we can call on God for help, for wisdom. We can commune with God in prayer. We can surrender ourselves to Him in prayer as we go to the Word and open it for the instruction that He gives us there, for the encouragement that He gives us there, for the rest that He gives us in His Word. Only God offers the hope and rest that we need to survive on this earth. Yes, God has given us an orderly earth to live in, a place that we can survive. We, we can generate heat for ourselves when we're freezing to death, and we can generate air conditioning for ourselves when we're sweltering. We can feed ourselves. We can clothe ourselves, but only by God's provision. God provides for us. And He gives us strength and energy and wisdom to do those things. And He gives us the resources that we need. But all of that, all of that is eclipsed by the fact that our God saves. All who turn to Christ, He saves. All who humble themselves before the Lord Jesus Christ, He redeems and forgives and gives salvation, gives eternal life and gives rest, eternal rest. And there is rest for us today as we keep trusting in Him. God has given us good things to enjoy. God has given us good things to help us. 
But we should never forget the best thing he has given us is his son. He has given us the Lord Jesus Christ. And he saves when we look to him. And we should always be careful that we don't turn to those worthless idols that surround us. And you can use your imagination. Those idols can be just about anything around us. We need to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord. We need to keep our eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ and on His Word. While we live in this world, while we enjoy the good things that God has given us and entrusted to us to use for His glory, And we can do that because our hope does not rest in those things. It rests in Jesus Christ alone. It rests in our one true God, the one who saves, the one who calls to us from his word and from passages like the one before us tonight in Isaiah 45. Wonderful truths that we have from his word. For thus says the Lord, verse 18, who created the heavens, he is God. He is God who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. And then he calls to us, Turn to me. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance. Is that you? Are you swearing allegiance to the Lord? To the one true God? Are you giving Him your life daily? I trust that's true of us. I trust that's your desire But we need God's help with that, don't we? It's so easy as we live in this world to be tempted to go in every which direction and away from the truths of God's Word and away from allegiance to our God. But may we humble ourselves before Him and turn to Him and know the rest that He promises us when we keep our eyes fixed on His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ.